Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm really excited to be chatting with Channing Ferrer. He's with HubSpot. He's the VP of Ops and Strategy. And oftentimes, both of those things don't go together. Channing, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So it's kind of interesting, right? Strategy. What's your definition of strategy? Because I think there's so much confusion out there. And what is strategy? What are tactics? If you can define both of those for me, please. Yeah, sure. So I'd say, very simply put, strategy is a set of choices. And I think a strategy uh, team ultimately helps you to make those choices. So as we think of strategy, I actually think strategy and operations are different things. There's overlap. Yes. Um, but they are fun- fundamentally um, different things because of that, that set of choices. The strategy team needs to help to define those choices and understand the, the, the different factors within those choices. And operations, again, is a little, little different. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because in my world, uh, strategy is very much, you know, what is the purpose of the organization? What is the overall thing that we're trying to achieve? And this is the most elegant way to achieve it. And then tactics are, what are the things that we do to get the results that we want? Mm -hmm. And how does that relate to your definition? Because you're going very specific to your organization and what you do in strategy and ops choices. How do the two relate or support each other? Yeah, so strategy is ultimately how do we, uh, where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? And again, those are the choices that we're making. So when we think of strategy, we're ultimately trying to define that end state first, and then we'll we'll build a roadmap, build a path for how we get there. And that path usually has a a variety of of choices, decisions that need to be made. So strategy helps us to make those decisions. And and we usually think of strategy as starting with a strategy, and that strategy evolves over time as well. Because as you're making those choices, you're testing uh, different elements and factors. So strategy as a whole, the concept is, again, where's the direction we're going to go and how do we get there? But I do think it's really important to understand strategy needs to evolve, ebb and flow. It doesn't always necessarily stay on a straight line to get to that end state. I think one of the great philosophers, uh, Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. Right. And so we have the strategy and we need to be able to adapt it to the current situations on the ground. Exactly. And that's, I mean, you look at a sales rep, they'll say the same thing. I love that Mike Tyson quote. It's (laughs) one of the few times I think I ever quote Mike Tyson, but I love it because when, when you're a sales rep and you get onto a discovery call, it's kind of the same situation. You've got a game plan. You know all the things you think you're going to ask. And then all of a sudden, a curveball is thrown at you. And you've got to be able to react and adapt. And again, that's the same concept as strategy. Brilliant. So tell me about, uh, don't name names, unless they'll be embarrassed. Uh, no, don't name names. Tell me about one of your clients, a HubSpot client that had a particular strategy that they were using that was not as effective as it could have been. And then they started interacting with you and your team and you guys helped them evolve the strategy and get better results. Can you think of a, a client like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say a lot of our a lot of our clients actually fit into that exact 
uh, example that, that you're talking about where they think they have a strategy, they think they have a game plan. Um, and ultimately, end goal is usually fairly consistent. It's to increase lead flow, improve rep efficiency, improve the output of the overall kind of go-to-market engine. And um, often what we'll find is, is companies don't really know how to make that happen very effectively, or, or at least the strategy and approach that they're taking isn't the most effective, uh, effective approach. So there's a company who I'm, I'm working with even now where um, you know, their approach to creating uh, demand isn't really working all that well. And as we've started to kind of dig in and explore, uh, what we're realizing is the value messaging isn't isn't really there. So we need to help them kind of think through how do they build up that that value prop, that value messaging, and then how can they articulate that through the various channels that they have, inclusive of their sales team. So there's the marketing element, but also the the sales element to that. Now our job isn't necessarily to build the value prop, but it was to help identify where the problems were. And uh, from there, as they get that value prop and value messaging right, then they can understand how to articulate that to that ideal customer profile. How does the sales rep work most effectively or the sales team even work most effectively with that ideal customer profile to um, you know to bring them on board as, as a customer so Channing let's take a back up a little bit here so this company did they realize that the strategy wasn't working uh, when they came across you guys or did they think it was working and you just show them what the possibilities could be yeah you know they knew they were they were struggling they knew they were struggling um, and it was really more market oriented they had a great value message down market. They were struggling to, with kind of how do they go to market um, or up market into the enterprise segment. And um, what they what they're struggling to do is really to identify where the gaps were, what was working and what wasn't working. And they're looking kind of more for a data driven uh, approach to understanding those gaps. So again, what we were able to do is work with them to better analyze what's working and what's not working and then run some experiments and test and um, ultimately, you know, tools, software kind of helps you in, in those sorts of ways. And then they could kind of refine that, that go-to-market messaging, that value messaging, and uh, really improve how they were selling up market. Brilliant. And I, and I like that, uh, you know, experiment and test because we don't know. We need to actually, you know, test it in the real world. So that's cool. So Channing, have you ever heard this uh, expression, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've heard it here and there. I've, I've never used it myself, but yeah. So you've got, how large is your sales team and support team? Yeah, we, we don't publish numbers, but it's it's a pretty big you know, pretty big group. I mean, we're doing over, over a billion dollars in revenue these days. Uh, so, and really nearly all of that flows through our sales and support team. So brilliant. So how do you help your reps listen to what's happening with the client? Because it's so easy for them to go, Oh, I know how to solve this. And this is, uh, you know, we all do it. So how do you get them to actually have the patience and the skill to really dig down and see what the real issue is so they can provide a solution? Mm-hmm. What does that look like uh, for you training your staff? Yeah, so I'll start on the sales side and then I'll, I'll extrapolate this into how we think about it from a customer success perspective as well. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that we do within the sales org is we actually really want our sales team to understand our product. So before we even start trying to understand the customer problems um, and how to do that discovery, we spend the first two weeks of every every sales rep joins, they spend the first two weeks learning product. And they they build um, components, uh, they use HubSpot really to build different things within the product. They'll build workflows, they'll build websites, they'll do different things like that. So they can understand 
the day-to-day life of one of our customers. And then we'll also teach them a bit more about kind of marketing and sales and CRM and ops and, and uh, success even. So they understand a little more that the business life of the customer. So they do that for the first few weeks. Um, and then coming out of those first few weeks of fundamental training, then they'll begin to get into, all right, now how do I find and understand the problems that people are having? But by understanding the day-to-day life and understanding the software, it helps them to really hone in on what questions to ask. So I think that's one of the, uh, frankly, one of the advantages that, that we've been able to build up at HubSpot is our, our reps are, are very knowledgeable on our product. And from there, it leads into, uh, again, understanding the questions they need to ask. So we focus a lot on discovery in the weeks following the, the upfront uh, fundamental product training. Right. And again, discovery is all about asking good questions. So we take them through scenarios on how best to ask those questions. Um, learning, again, we have various products. We have our marketing product, our, our sales product, and so on. Uh, so kind of looking at it from, from different angles on uh, from a product perspective. So one of the... Uh challenges is being a leader is when you see someone on your staff that you know could be doing so much better they might be doing a really good job but you can see greatness there and the the rep themselves can't see that in themselves Uh, can you think of an example of someone in your organization that uh, you could clearly see they could do better and how you help them uh, not only see it but to actually execute upon it yeah yeah i'll say um I'm actually going to use an example of a, of a non-rep for a moment here. Um, okay. I think the learnings are, are probably fairly applicable across rep and non-rep. And, and again, I, I run a, a mixed team of ops and strategy as well as humans. Yep, yep, exactly. So there's there's this big human element to um, you know how to be successful. And and I'd say there's, there's a fundamental belief that I have is really success breeds success. So if you are successful, you'll have people around you successful. You'll believe that you're, you're going to be more su- successful and you will be more successful as well. But that first step is is seeing success and, and feeling it. And then that, you know, again, builds your confidence and you can grow from there. So this, this one individual was spread too thin and they had a lot of skills. They were very, very strong contributor, but they were spread too thin. And it was leading to an uh, extreme amount of burnout. So to the point where uh, their key stakeholders were not really appreciating the work they were doing because they were kind of surface level. It was surface level work because it was too, he, uh, he or she was spread too, too thinly. So um, what we did was we narrowed down the focus. We said, let's really focus in on just these, these four or so tasks and um, really, really pulled some of the other work off of this person's plate. And in doing that and focusing on those tasks and pulling it off, and it was hard at first because at, at first that this individual felt like it was uh, a step backwards. You know, they had less of a remit. They were being, some stuff was being taken away from them. Um, so pause my- right there just for a moment, to, if I may. So it's kind of human beings are meaning making machines. And when stuff happens, we need to make meaning out of it. And our mindset determines that meaning. And you were helping this rep with the best of intention to help them succeed and they were making the meaning of hey wait a minute i'm being demoted or so how did you get them to cross that uh that chasm to kind of see it like hey wait a minute we're going to help you be freaking awesome yeah yeah it it was hard it was a lot of conversations it really was it was a lot of one-on-one conversations we'd have them uh nearly daily actually at one point where we talk about prioritization we talk about um how to you know this carve out of some of the work what it meant for for them being successful in the remaining work. And that's where the conversations would, would focus. Uh, I, f- of course, can frame all this up, but then when you're living through it, it, it does feel bad. 
as a human to feel like you're, yep. you're taking on less. So, but again, the goal was to get through this change curve. And I often think change is a curve. And whenever you go through a change curve, you start with the negative. You move yourself down into the bottom of the curve fairly quickly. And then you have to dig out of that curve. So acknowledging that we're going to be sitting in this trough for a little bit of time was important and acknowledging that it was difficult, but then beginning to see those wins. And that was what was helpful to dig out of that trough. If you can't see the wins, you stay in that trough in that yep. curve for a long period of time. So we had to begin to see small wins. And that's what we focused a lot on up front was just the really little wins. And those little wins led to more wins. And this comes back to success breeds success. As you begin to get wins, you begin to build momentum. And that helped this individual dig out of the trough. And I think this same concept works so well with a sales rep. If, the, if a sales rep is struggling, my approach often working with them is saying, let's find those little wins. Let's, that win doesn't even need to be a closed deal. It could be a meeting. It could be a conversation that goes well. Um, but once you begin to get those little wins, you got to build on those wins and, and build that momentum to dig out of that trough. Yeah, it's all about mindset. Uh, many years ago, my sister was telling me about one of her clients. Uh, she worked in retail and they had gone to China to adopt a, a little girl. And of course, it took several months to do that. And when they came back to the store, you know, they were going to introduce this little girl to my sister. And this girl threw her arms out wide and said, hi, I'm adopted. <laughs> like, this is the best thing in the world. And, and other people, of course, are, hi, I'm adopted. And uh, so how do you help your sales team as a collective keep a positive mindset? Because if they've got a positive mindset, those little losses are not as impactful. And we can also uh, really savor those wins, little ones and big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd say one of the first things we do, and this is, it's pretty unique to HubSpot, but I'm, I've, uh, I've grown to become a big fan of it. I was a little concerned about it when I first joined, is we actually assume overperformance in our plan. We assume our reps need to be over 100% for us to hit our overall annual number. And, and any finance person that, that's listening here is gonna say, wait a minute, that's backwards. What, what's going on? Because typically a, a sales plan assumes reps are at 80%, 85% or so. No, we're gonna assume attainment. And for that matter, sometimes even over attainment. And what that means is then our reps are hitting their number and you have a much higher percentage of your reps sitting over 80, 90, 100%. And they builds their confidence and they see that success. And then they get to the accelerators and they see more success and the reps around them say, wait a minute, I want to be like that person. How do I get there? Um, but again, it's, it's a very simple concept and it's a little scary at first because ultimately plans usually are built the other way. Uh, but it really has led to, I, I think it's been one of the key drivers to leading to uh, our, our success overall. So I think that's probably one of the, the first core uh, tenants we have um, that helps, helps in this area. So let me share an idea with you and let's equate it back to what you just described, which is totally brilliant. What's interesting is if you have a C student in an advanced class, uh, if they go down to a regular class, they should uh, you know, deliver better results. But what's kind of interesting is a lot of students still deliver the same grade in the lower class because at some level, they're trying to fit into the class. Where do I fit into this class? Because that's where I feel comfortable. And if they go from an average class to an advanced class, they'll up their game to stay at that C or B level and not fall below. Any thoughts on that that idea? Yeah, I mean, I think I could apply something similar uh, similar here is, is, to my, my um, attainment point of view, which is I want to be in the middle of the group. I want to be in the middle of the pack maybe for, mm -hmm. for 
And you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be in the bottom quartile, but I'm okay maybe if I'm not in the top quartile. And, and you know, some reps, um, typically reps actually often want to be in the top quartile. But I think at a minimum, kind of being in the, in the middle of the pack is, is important to reps. And if that middle of the pack means you have to be at 105%, then okay, I've got to be at 105% to be in the middle of the pack. Um, and then again, I think often there's an element in, in sales of competition that drives reps to be even well above that. One of the things we find with our, our uh, sales team is they're, they're maniacal at looking at one another's stats. And it's not that uncommon. Reps love yeah. to see what the reps are doing. But we provide a ton of visibility there because what we find is they learn a lot. They, it creates a little sense of competition, even if you're not you know, intending to do so. Um, it, it does. But they learn so much from one another and they see where that middle of the pack is. They see what those top performers are doing. And then they begin to replicate that because they, they see the potential upside in it. So it's, it's one of the best reports that we have. We used to call it the rep pack. We've kind of changed around the naming of it, but it's, it's still the same concept. It shows you all the key metrics per rep and you can go through and, and identify what's working and what's not working um, along with, you can see who's attaining and who's not attaining. Um, so I, I do think I, it's an interesting concept that people will kind of keep themselves at a middle level. I, I think that makes sense. But if you raise that bar up to say that middle level is fairly high, then I think you see people continue to perform at, at a high level. Absolutely. And, and the same thing's true. If you've got someone that's a top performer and that's where they, their self-worth is, I need to be in the top 10%. If you raise that bar up, they're going to be in that top 10%. It's almost like a, a compulsion to do so, which right. is uh, pretty brilliant. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, as I'm sure you know, Dan Pink and his, um, you know, he's got his his uh, intrinsic drivers that he's talked about, autonomy, purpose and mastery. And this idea of mastery, I think, plays so well into the sales sales world where uh, reps and, and people around sales in general really want to master the skill set that they have. So as long as they, they have the autonomy, which sales ultimately gives you a lot of autonomy, yes. mastery piece is, is a core to, I think, driving performance. Brilliant. So Channing, uh, the Channing that's talking to me right now is probably way cooler than the Channing that was there five years ago. <laughs> Your statement? Yeah, I don't think I was ever all that that exciting uh, or cool. But <laughs> So uh, what's one of the things that you've learned? And uh, tell me about one of the places where uh, you may have like uh, screwed up or not done it well. And that was a learning lesson that allowed you to just get better at what you do. Do you have one of those things where Oh yeah, two years ago I was doing this, and uh, this is what I figured out. And now, uh, do you have one of those lessons you could share with our audience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say the only way to learn is to fall, and and you get back up and you learn from that. So I've got plenty of examples of where I've made mistakes and, and gone wrong. And the key is learning from those mistakes. Um, I'll just take a quick uh, side note on this. I, I love to ski, and whenever I bring my kids out or my wife skiing. Uh, my wife doesn't love this as much as my kids do, but I tell them you got to fall a little bit because that's what's going to make you better when you ski. So push yourself, you know, try this, this area, try this run. And it's okay if you slide out and fall because uh, that's how you learn how to get better. And, and again, I think that's been how I've learned over the years at HubSpot and, and beyond that. One of the, I think a couple things, um, let me try one good example. I'd say this is a great lesson for any leader is when to take action when you have someone who's struggling underneath you and what sort of action to take. And I've had a couple examples where I have been too slow to take action. And yeah. action doesn't mean you need to fire someone, by the way. Just I think that's that's often people think take action means firing. It doesn't. It just means you need to rethink the role, rethink kind of what that person's responsible for, understand their skill set, and maybe make some changes. 
So I've had a couple scenarios where I've been a little slow at, at taking action. And um, it's led to uh, indecision. And that indecision has slowed us down as, as a business. So I think, you know, one of my key takeaways is always is, is often my action is not to get rid of someone. That's my first reaction is definitely this person is good. They've been here for a while. Let me see what I can do to repurpose, rechange, reorient the person so that they can be successful, but also so we're not slowing down on taking actions ourselves um, to move, move something forward. So I think that's, there's a couple examples I can think of there. I'll give one other one, um, we, you know, some more tactical examples. Uh, we, we run experiments. And I'd say one simple thing that I learned is we used to go experiment to roll out. I actually learned you need to go experiment, pilot, then roll out. And an experiment, by the way, and this is a key nuance, an experiment is different than a pilot because an experiment is you're kind of testing something in a very simple, lightweight way. You may have one person doing one A-B test on, on a certain topic or you know, a rep kind of right. trying something a little different. It's a very simple little test. And that experiment could be successful. Great. So we have one rep that's done this well. Uh, all right. Now let's roll it out to our 100 reps. No, you have to go to the next phase, which is pilot with a, a subset of people that's big enough or a geo or a region or a segment or something, you know, that's sizable enough that you can really understand the impact and understand how it's going to impact your customers, how it's going to impact reps, the change in behavior. One person is just an experiment, but a cohort is a pilot. So grabbing a large enough cohort to pilot something allows you to learn from it and roll it out more effectively. And we've had a couple examples where we used to go experiment rollout, and now the pilot has been probably one of the bigger learnings is always go to pilot first. Brilliant. So, Channing, before we part company, a couple of things. What is one mind hack that you would like to share with our audience that helps you be more effective or happier? Hmm. So, I'll tell you, I think this has been a COVID one for me. Um, we've all learned a lot in COVID. Uh, one of the things that I've found for me is I need to go for a walk every day. And I've been very purposeful. Um, say 95% of the days, there's there's a small 5% up here in New England where it's too cold and snowy and, and rainy. Um, right. and those, so I'll walk inside, not outside, but I need to go for a walk outside. And it really clears my mind going for that walk. And, and I've read about this through mindfulness and other things, but it's just the idea of step back for just you know 20 minutes even um, throughout the day. Some people even take naps when you can. Uh, but that idea of step away in the middle of the day actually helps you be so much more productive throughout the day. And if I don't do it, I just kind of get into this foggy, slow mode that ultimately uh, I lose a lot of productivity. So I think that's probably been one of my, my bigger learnings from COVID and more recently in general. So my area of expertise is changing human behavior. You know, how we figure out where people are stuck and get them stuck really, really quickly to get them to uh, do better. So I was doing a keynote speech in Rio de Janeiro. And when I've spoken in foreign countries, it's pretty much me on stage and somebody in a booth at the back of the auditorium simultaneously translating. So anybody that needs a translation has an earbud to hear me. I go to Rio and they've got somebody with a mic standing next to people. Basically, the person says something and then they translate, which means that my presentation was going to go from an hour to half an hour. Mm -hmm. And so I had to like scramble to change what I was doing. But one of the things I was talking about is I take my clients in nature often to, to do change work. And I was saying, you know, what's interesting is what animals show up as I'm doing this change. And uh, I was working with this guy who had a mental block around creativity all of a sudden. Like, uh, and so as we were creating that change right behind him, this puppy came up, was frolicking around like a Disney dog. And it was like, 
he's trying to find creativity and this dog's just shown up out of nowhere. So oftentimes when you go out for a walk and you pay attention to what you're seeing, uh, what animals or birds or what you have noticed sometimes gives you an insight on whatever problem you're working on that you wouldn't have gotten if you stayed uh, doggedly hardworking at your desk. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had one of those where something came up or an idea on, on one of your walks? Um, you know, I got to say when I'm going for my walk, and I actually walk in, in the woods. I've got a nice trail behind my house. Nice. In the, woods, so the, the whole walk is pretty much in the woods and I'll bring my dog with me. And, and usually, you know, there's birds and, and stuff around, which is kind of nice to, to look at. Um, I, I can't say there's one individual thing, but there's a ton of little things that pop into my head. And nice. often I'll have my phone with me and just begin jotting down ideas as I'm walking, you know, nothing, nothing much and then a couple words here and there. Uh, but there's tons of little ideas and then I'll kind of bring those back and put them in, in a, a, my, I've got a big, big long Evernote that I keep a lot of notes and I'll just throw it in there. And then the next morning I'll go and look at it when I'm feeling fresh. I'm usually fresher in the morning, I find. So I'll go and look at it and I'll begin to kind of formulate some of those thoughts into, into more structured ideas. And, and I can take those a lot of different ways. But um, I do find you're right. There's a lot of just ideas that kind of like pop in my head. And sometimes it's just little pieces of ideas, not even complete ideas. And some of them, you know, some of them go nowhere, but some of them actually turn into really thoughtful, um, bigger projects, initiatives. So during COVID, I had this crazy idea. It's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start running, but instead of do like the 10 miles, 26 miles, which would suck, I'm going to focus on one mile. And so the first time I went for a run, it was like a run and a walk. It was like, 14 minutes and some odd seconds to do a mile. Mm-hmm. And then uh, every day I started doing it and I got down to about 11 minutes. And then I reached out to a friend who used to be a runner uh, in college. I said, I'm trying to get better. Any suggestions? He says, yeah, Umar, I want you to run half a mile and then take a one minute rest and then finish the rest of the half mile, which to me, it sounds like a really dumb idea. Mm-hmm. But right off the bat, I went from 11 minutes to nine minutes hmm. because... As I ran continually for a mile, I thought I was making progress, whereas when I took a rest, I did the second half a lot faster. And I think that's true in business as well, is taking those walks or taking time out of your day just to kind of rest a little bit, allow ideas to come in, just make you a a ton more effective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, It really is so true. You have to sometimes slow down to go faster. Absolutely. Uh, Channing, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I really appreciated it. Taking a lot of notes in what we were talking about, especially the experiment and pilot before you actually launch big time. And I like that uh, the change curve sounded like an important concept. And last but not least, those small wins count. Mm -hmm. Great. Again, Umar, great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 